I want to talk to you today about uh, living under the influence. We were made to count. We want to have a significant impact. We want to make a difference. We want the world to be different as a result of our having lived in it for a while. That's a good thing. You have a drive to be significant. And we're all influenced. We all have a craving for inspiration, for guidance, for some assurance that our life will be worth living. We're made to live under the influence, but if we don't live under the right influence, we will live under the wrong influence. You may know I um, am a kind of a student of AA and the 12 steps and I'm thinking a lot these days about that framework as a way of life for those of us who want to experience meaning and a sense of transcendence. If you go to AA meetings, you will hear stories with lots of tears and lots of laughter. And we read about them sometimes. There was a story this past year. This one is true. Sometimes there's urban myths about what people will do under the influence. But there was a woman in Portland, Maine this year who drove her car into a police garage across a pedestrian walkway and then tried to drive her car down the stairs. Literally tried to drive the car down the stairs. Obviously, it could not make it. And when the police went to came to talk with her, because it was their stairs that she was trying to drive down, she blamed it on her GPS. She said she was just following her GPS. She wasn't following her GPS. She was under the influence of something, but was not that. And those stories, whether they have both tears and laughter or only tears, uh, only lead in tragedy as often they do, depends on whether or not we are able to come under a greater influence. One of the founding moments in the history of Alcoholics Anonymous, and this will relate to all of us, whether you think you have an addiction or you're not, although I don't think any of us are not addicted, attached to, in the grip of, under the influence of something. One primary moment came back in 1932 when a man named Roland, who was a hopeless alcoholic, went to see Carl Jung. You may know this story. Jung treated him for a year. He thought finally he understood his problem and he was free from that influence. But when he left Jung to come back to the States before he got to the boat, he was hopelessly drunk. And he went back to Jung again and Jung said, uh, I know of nothing that can help somebody like you. And Roland felt like the gates of hell were clanging shut. And he asked nothing. And Jung said, well, there is one thing. I know some people who have had a vital religious experience. And so Roland ended up becoming part of what was known as the Oxford Group. And uh, he, in turn, introduced somebody else to this experience. And that person introduced another man who happened to be Bill W. So that was a key link in the chain of the 12 Steps. 30 years later, Bill W. wrote to Carl Jung towards the very end of Carl Jung's life to let him know about that experience three decades earlier with Roland and that Jung himself had been, uh, in some fashion, one of the fathers of the 12-step movement. And here's what Jung wrote. This is a fascinating letter. Jung wrote about Roland, his craving for alcohol was the equivalent on a low level of the spiritual thirst of our being for wholeness. And he said expressed in medieval ancient language for that, it's the thirst for union with God, for transcendence. And then Jung goes on, alcohol in Latin is spiritus, 
the word for spirit. And it's interesting, even in our day, we will talk about alcohol as spirits. Alcohol in Latin is spiritus, Jung said. You use the same word for the highest religious experience as well as for the most depraving poison. The helpful formula is spiritus contra spiritum. In other words, spirit against spirit. In other words, this is a battle at the spiritual level of one spirit battling against another spirit. Which spirit will I come under the influence of? And it was striking in reading this to think about different passages of Scripture. For example, Paul, when he's writing to the church at Ephesus, says, Be careful how you live, as wise, not as foolish, for the days were evil, redeeming the time. And then he says, Don't be drunk on wine, which leads to destruction, corruption, loss, debauchery. But instead be filled with the Spirit. There is something about using a substance like alcohol to try to change our mood, to try to influence our posture and the way that we feel about life that is kind of uh, uh, a poor imitator of what it is to be filled with the Spirit. Or I was thinking about the second chapter of Acts, when the Holy Spirit comes on a group of human beings and they begin to speak in a way and with the power and an impact that they never had before. And people are looking at them. And one of the things that some of the scoffers say is they must be drunk. And Peter stands up and says, no, it is not true. It's nine o'clock in the morning. These people that you see are not drunk. They are filled with the Spirit. So what influence will I be under today? Will it be the influence of alcohol or the influence of a substance or the influence of my thirst for people's approval or for revenge or for indulging, wallowing in a sense of inadequacy or a thirst for transcendence and inspiration that can actually be filled by the Spirit? I have been reading a book by Michael Gorman called Cruciformity and thinking a lot about it. That's a bit of an odd word, but it's become very important in New Testament studies over the last couple of decades. And the idea of that word cruciformity has to do with the influence that we're under. Part of what Gorman writes about is that the Apostle Paul isn't just somebody who wanted to have people affirm certain beliefs like we often think. He was a pastor and he was most concerned about people's lives and having their lives changed or transformed, having a certain kind of spiritual experience that people would have. And what Gorman says is at the heart of that is a story, it's a narrative, and at the heart of that story is the cross. Sacrificial, self-giving love that changes everything. And it helps us to live a cruciform life, which is the only way to satisfy our thirst. All other approaches that bypass the cross are like shortcuts to Eden that will not work. And here's part of what Gorman writes. He writes about how the phrase that Paul uses over and over and over again, scores of times is in Christ, to be in Christ. And this is what he says. The vast majority of those uses refer to existence in Christ. The language is not so much mystical as it is spatial, to live within a sphere of influence. The precise meaning of the phrase varies from context to context, but to be in Christ principally means to be under the influence, to be under the influence of Christ's power, especially the power to be conformed to him 
and conform to his cross, cruciform, by participation in the life of a community that follows his lordship. He says that the world shaped by the cross, viewed through the cross, experiences a strange reversal of values so that weakness is found in strength. Greatness is found in servanthood. People who die to themselves in their own egos find themselves coming to life. Becoming the victim of evil and wrongdoing can elicit a response from me, not of retaliation, but of forgiveness and love. That everything about Jesus is marked by this trajectory, this arc, this narrative that finds its ultimate expression and central brand in the cross. In the power of self-giving, self-sacrificial love that then triumphs in the resurrection. So, today... You get to choose, starting right now, what influence will I live under? And the great invitation, if we want to make our day count, if we want it to have significance beyond ourselves, is to let it be part of that great story. You know, everybody's life is marked by some story. Folks will talk about how people grew up in the Great Depression are marked by that narrative, that story. So they're always afraid there won't be enough or they hide money under a mattress. They don't hide banks. And a thousand different ways, our lives is shaped by story, particularly by a master story, a meta narrative. And the invitation is for that to be the story of the cross, self-giving love, forgiveness, humility, death to self, placing my desires in submission to what will be better, what is truly good, trusting, depending wholly on God, finding his power when I come in strength. We are the fellowship of the withered hand. I can't, he can, I think I'll let him. To be under that influence today, today ask God, God, would you influence me? Would you let me live in the sphere of your influence and power? Would you influence the very thoughts that go through my mind? Would you influence the very words that come out of my mouth? Would you influence the images that my mind see as I look around me at the beauty of your world and particularly at the mystery and wonder of other human beings? Would you influence my actions? Would you influence my rest? Today you will live under the influence. Live under the influence that alone can make our lives count. Love you. Thanks for joining us here at becomenew.me. If you'd like to receive the daily emails that go along with each video, let us know at becomenew.me at gmail.com. Or if you want prayer, you can text us at 855-888-0444.